Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. This is episode 34, Intergalactic. I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. I am joined, as I am by most, uh, as I am most weeks, by Dana, the dog ate my homework, Woolman. Ha! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Having I'm, a good morning? Yeah. Yeah? And I'm also joined by Chris Velasco. We're already having a great day. Like, we are. We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> we are most mornings. We we roll in here most days for the podcast. Uh, I feel like a little loopy, mm-hmm. a little tired, and um, feeling a little crazy. I know Dana had a fun conversation to start her morning, uh, trying to translate wank from British English to American oh, English. Oh, you're, you're just dying, dying. I'm, di- I'm diving yeah. right in. Yeah. <laughs> this is how we start our days. This is like... I feel like it's important for our viewers and readers to understand that we're people like you and we have really intense debates over wanking. Yeah. <laughs> so the context is... I don't think we need context. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no when people have uncomfortable questions, they come to their work mother instead of their work father, but I really think they should be... They should be coming to me with these. Yeah, why not? Because um, work dad is scary sometimes and he yells. It's not even that. I think we all just understand work mom is just going to handle it so much more hilariously. Yeah, she's going to blush and bury her head in her hands. So yep. It's going to be great. <laughs> yep. Hello. Uh... We're going to get into this a little bit later, but yesterday you had a fun day. <laughs> that I did. I uh, I braved what felt like 9,000 people to go see the Galaxy S8, uh, which is a phenomenal phone, and I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking that. But, man, Samsung knows how to put on a show. Yeah. It's, it's, it wasn't my favorite. Like, to... The I don't know if you guys remember this, the Galaxy S4 launch a couple years ago, where they had like the faux Broadway thing. Oh, and I Will was Ch- there for that. And it Will was. Chase, like an actual Broadway star, I think. Oh, he, he did like a Miss Saigon that was very, very good. Uh, he emceed the whole thing, and it was just like tone deaf and bizarre. And they've dialed back from that in ways that make it feel well, more Well, and if mature, you're just coming off fun. the Note 7 apology tour, I don't think you get to put on a Broadway show. This is perhaps uh, kind of true. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Although, there, <laughs> they did do some interesting stuff for Note people, which I'll, I'll dive into a little bit later. Okay. But they, uh, it's very interesting how they handle a lot of this <laughs> stuff, suffice to say. So why don't we jump right into it? This is going to be a special all-Samsung edition of the podcast. And we'll start, as we do most weeks, with Flame Wars. This is where we kind of debate the biggest stories going on. Uh, One of us is going to have to play devil's advocate here and argue a thing they probably don't believe in. But, you know, that's (laughs) fine. Um, So there was a few things that came up yesterday. I think the big question... And we could really dive down a rabbit hole on this, but I kind of want to keep it really kind of as, as succinct as humanly possible, which is whether or not the GS8 and the 8 Plus are enough to save Samsung's reputation following the disaster that was the Note 7. Hmm. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll just yeah. go for it. Yeah. I, I don't think these devices by themselves are going to. I think based off of the cascading series of failures that led to the Note 7 being such a fiasco, 
I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. These are phenomenal phones. They push the envelope in a lot of ways, although maybe not in the ways everyone was kind of hoping. But but it's 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 two phones. Like they're obviously going to be very big sellers. Samsung's approach over the next couple months, and especially if they do do another Note device, that's the moment I think we're really going to see if Samsung is back, if Samsung is worthy of trust again. I mean, they also have to hope that these phones also don't explode. God, (laughs) there's no no coming back from that. (laughs) Well, I mean, here's the thing that I, I think is kind of interesting so far is... It seems like Samsung's reputation is hurt with us, the guys like kind of in the industry and in the know who pay mm-hmm. attention to this thing. I don't know that I've seen that much from the broader public. Have you? I think there was a period in the Note 7 heyday when Note 7 became a household name, and it was a name frequently repe- repeated on airlines and in airports, um, and not for good reason. So. No. Um, I think everyone was aware. I don't know. But people have short memories. Yeah, and that's that's the counterpoint I would have made to V is I don't know if this is enough to fully, um, I guess, cross that blemish off Samsung's record. But I think Samsung did succeed in changing the conversation to something that is more, um, I guess, flattering. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you on that. And I generally think that like what's done is done. I think there is a tendency for us kind of working in tech to latch onto this and write hot takes and just really in general overthink the kind of impact something yeah. like this can have on a company's longevity. They've got tons of money. We're going to forget stuff. Like they will do fine. And if you look at it through that lens, like Samsung's reputation really isn't in any kind of danger. But I remember shortly after these things started blowing up, I think. It might have been the Pew Research Center. Someone did a uh, survey in which they asked people, do you trust Samsung? Does this change your consumption habits with regard to Samsung? Would you more rather buy an iPhone versus a Samsung now? And there was basically no change. Yeah. People who like Samsung believe in Samsung, and they're going to keep buying their stuff. Everyone else who couldn't have cared less will enjoy the punchlines while they're culturally relevant and then move on with their lives. And I mean, I think there's also probably a pretty good amount of people who are going to go out and buy Samsung devices who don't necessarily even care about the brand attached to it. Because, I mean, nobody's going out and buying LG phones because they're attached to the LG brand. Yeah. Let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> but LG still sells phones. Uh, you know, People, I think, go out and they buy the phone that looks nice, that's in their price range, and certain people make that decision based on whether it's Android or iPhone, and they just go buy the newest, prettiest thing. They're probably not paying too much attention, right? I do think in wider circles... Samsung is the brand most likely to be pitted directly against Apple. In yeah. fact, yesterday I saw a lot of comparisons that were favorable to Samsung comparing the S8 versus the iPhone 7. Mm-hmm. Um, and Samsung is fortunate in that sense in that there's a good six months or so or five months until Apple announces whatever is next. So Samsung kind of has a big head start there. And I don't think it's just us techies. I think um, in the wider world, um, people might be a little more likely to pit Samsung against Apple than, let's say, LG or even Google. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's probably true, although I think Google probably would hope to change that a little bit. I think they're, they clearly want to change that so that they're the ones that are directly competing and screw Samsung or whoever. Yeah. We'll see if that succeeds, though. They have, they have quite a while to go. Uh, one of the other things that came out yesterday was they fi- Samsung finally kind of sort of released Bixby, their 
AI virtual assistant <clears throat> thing. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of interesting things about it, I think. But the really big question is whether or not Samsung even needs a virtual assistant of its own. Why not just take um, Google Assistant and put that in your phone and just save your time and effort, right? I think there's an argument to be made that Samsung has built its mobile ambitions a lot on customization and being able to make your device sort of uniquely your own. So, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. The Galaxy S8, the S8 Plus will have Google Assistant right out of the box. Like, if you want that, if that's your life, man, go for it. Enjoy. But I think what really kind of seems compelling about Bixby to me is that, sure, they've got, it, it exists in three sort of disparate modes. You've got the vision stuff, you've got the voice stuff, you've got this home screen thing that gives you suggestions. They, they don't always feel the most connected, but they do feel very complete. Okay. So ultimately, Samsung has said that they want to build a, an interface that will let you interface with the S8 and S8 Plus just as effectively as you could if you were touching the screen, which to date is a thing that hasn't been accomplished by Siri or Google Assistant. It doesn't have that system-level uh, capability. That is very exciting to me. And I think while the use cases in that respect will be limited for less technically inclined people, it does sort of, it does sort of put the onus on everybody else to try and figure out how to make these interfaces feel more whole, mm. which I, I think they've been struggling with for years. Do you think, though, that maybe Samsung is putting a little bit too much effort into basically trying to build and push its own like third alternative ecosystem with this? I generally feel that way, and I also feel like this idea that you would need um, something like voice interaction to interact with the elements of the OS as opposed to using your fingers that's almost a problem of Samsung's own making. Um, complicating and, and adding stuff to the stock Android experience. Um, in general, I'm not super big on what Samsung has been doing in terms of duplicating a lot of Google apps and mm -hmm. services. I do think it's cool that Bixby has facial recognition and sort of takes a step beyond Assistant. I think in that sense, um, there's an argument to be made that why should Samsung wait for Google to catch up and implement technology that Samsung already has taken the time to polish? That's fair. I mean, I, I could see Bixby helping push maybe the market forward a little bit. I just, I have problems seeing it catching on even among Samsung users. Well, see, that's the tricky part. And, and to be fair, the stuff that we were shown prior to the event yesterday didn't really give us a whole lot of room to get hopeful because it was very, very beta. The voice commands were in an inoperable state, like you could not use them. So that was actually something that I thought was pretty interesting and kind of alarming mm -hmm. in many ways. So the phone comes out when? April 21st. April 21st. That is coming up real yeah. quick. And they're going to be working on it up until April 21st and beyond. There is yeah. there. Samsung has been sort of opaque about when we'll actually be able to get it. There's a decent chance that the voice part of Bixby like, isn't there when you buy the phone. Or when we get our review units. Or when we get a review yeah. unit, which is the one. So Samsung is going to launch a virtual assistant that doesn't talk, basically, or that you can't talk to, more which, or less. Which I don't think that's the biggest sin. I still kind of look as, as excited as I am by the possibility of talking to Bixby. I don't like talking to phones in general. I feel like an asshole. So I, I get if that. If you had one thing to not ship with, I kind of would rather it be that and it be good when it does show up. I, that's fair, and I, I, I can understand that point. I just think it's 
you know, it's one of the expected features mm -hmm. of a virtual assistant is you can speak to right. it. If you can't speak to it, is it even a virtual assistant anymore? And Samsung has some catch-up to do. I mean, not only is Bixby late to the game compared mm -hmm. to everything else, but people, to the extent that people can feel emotionally attached to these personal assistants, everyone knows what Siri sounds like. Cortana is based on the voice of a popular video game actress. And um, the Google Voice, at least, um, that experience matches what people already had using Google Voice Search on whatever phone operating system mm -hmm. they have. So Bixby is the only true newcomer right now. And I don't just mean that it's late, but just that who the hell is Bixby? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting you bring that up because one of the biggest moments of disconnect I had during our sort of pre-hands-on time with the phones was, I and this might just be me, I kind of, I take Bixby as generally kind of a male name, but the voice is female. So like there's, like you don't really, I didn't get the feeling that I was talking to who I was supposed to be talking to, which feels bizarre to kind of say out loud, but the expectation there I think is important for Samsung to manage, right? Yeah. Like you have to build this personality that you want to converse with. And to have something like that, that doesn't, like it introduces a level of abstraction right from the gate. It just feels very strange. Yeah. Um, before we move on, I do want to just clarify the one bit about the vision thing, because mm -hmm. we didn't really dig into that too much. And I think this is the one point where Samsung does, at least for the moment, have mm -hmm. an advantage, which is that Bixby can kind of see mm -hmm. in a way that Google Assistant and Siri can't. So you can like take a photo of something uh, you, I think in your hands-on video, you took a photo of a package of Tylenol or something. Yeah. And, like, it immediately recognized that it was a bottle of Tylenol and pulled up, like, pricing. So if yeah. you want to do, like, price comparison stuff, which is all kind of useful, and I, I dig that. But it's also probably only a matter of time before that ends up in Google and Well, that's Siri. the – like, that's, that's Google Goggles, right? Like, Google Goggles has existed for years. They sort of moved resources away from it or stopped prioritizing it. I that, mean, they didn't just stop prioritizing right. it. I'm pretty sure that, like, they don't develop it's it anymore. It's fine. dead. But, like, <laughs> that could have been a part of Google's kind of mobile secret sauce from yeah. the get-go. And they just sort of let it languish. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a case of Samsung sort of looking at the market and figuring out – what hasn't really been done or hasn't been done that well and just like dumping a ton of money into it. Like Amazon did this with Firefly on the Fire Phone and it was a pretty cool feature. It just didn't help that no one bought a Fire Phone. They were terrible. Yeah, I mean, because they were terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, so our, la our last topic here is one that I have a feeling I'm going to get yelled at a lot. For. <laughs> <laughs> Based on our earlier conversations and that is Samsung's DeX. So Dex is their weird little dock that you can drop your phone into, connect it to a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse, and use your phone as a desktop PC. Um, and so the question is, does anybody really want to use their phone as a desktop PC? And the answer for me is yes. But I'm going to let you go first, guys, because I'm clearly in the minority. Dana, do you want to you jump in and I'll add something that I think uh, is interesting that I... Anyway, go ahead. So I've always thought, in theory, it is um, a cool idea. I'm sure that the advancement of chips, um, chip technology, is, is helping to start. Although it does sound, from Sherlyn's hands-on, that um, a solution like this is still best suited for the basics, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm not. Safe. Yeah. So I'm not doing this at work, um, or when I'm working from home. Um, so then, when when am I doing it, though? I have no idea. Like for for me, and I think for people like us, like it does not fit into our lifestyle at all. Terrence, you're going to disagree. No, I, I'm actually going to, to agree. Oh, with you. okay. Well, like there's there's we're we're constantly living our lives bouncing from screen to screen to screen. I don't need 
a screen that doubles as another screen. Like the cognitive load of trying to figure out how that fits into a life that's already loaded with displays, it's just not necessary for me. I guess my question, though, is, so I, I mean, I think it's a cool idea in theory. Mm -hmm. um, I personally would struggle a little bit because my needs go beyond just basic computing. So who fits in that Venn diagram where there's an overlap between basic needs and an awareness of technology where you'd be comfortable just ditching a laptop? So, so see, I think that's my hang, hang up is the same as yours, which is there's just not the power there yet. There's not the versatility mm -hmm. for us for the most part. Um, I don't quite agree with you, though, about the like screens thing. This For me, it's actually like a streamlining thing. It's hmm. now I don't need all of these screens. I have one screen, and when that small screen doesn't satisfy my needs, I, ha I just put the small screen on a bigger screen. Like, it's it's getting rid of some of the paraphernalia that goes along with, you know, all of the computing stuff in my life. Why do I need a desktop monitor, two laptops, a smartphone, a tablet? Like, it's a whole bunch of junk. Well, so there, there's also a question of operating system. Yeah. So what, what I was going to say real quick before, before we jump to that is that I think the person this is for is, and to be clear, I don't mean this as in specifically the Samsung DeX, which mm -hmm. I think my big issue with this is that most of the implementations of this have been terrible, is... If you can survive on a Chromebook, if you use a Chromebook as your daily driver, you should have no problem like doing this. Like an Android phone that you drop into a thing that launches Chrome OS on a big screen that you can also run Android apps on, like that's pretty much the holy grail of like low overhead computing, really mm -hmm. basic computer stuff. And to be clear, I can do most of what I need to on a Chromebook. <laughs> I can't edit photos, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was having an interesting discussion with a friend last night about Dex, and he pointed out to me something which I would have completely missed. Uh, in certain developing markets, obviously low-cost phones tend to be what really kind of sell, but there are specific subsets of people for whom a device like the Galaxy S8 or the S8 Plus is kind of a prestigious thing, and yeah. like you'll you'll like spend a little less on like your lunch or like in other ways streamline your life in order to be able to own this thing. So think about it, if you're in a developing country, you've already committed to like buying this phone because of all of like the social cachet that comes with it along with the technical benefits, like really what's, what's like an extra 100, 150 bucks to be able to make this a device that's in a lot of ways so much more than what you signed up for, right? Like you've got this desktop experience. Is it ideal? No, but you can crank on your Word documents, you can surf stuff, you can edit photos. For a lot of people, I see this actually replacing the full desktop entirely. Yeah. I think the developing markets thing is uh, an interesting and important point because in a lot of developing markets, the only computing device that people will have mm -hmm. is their smartphone. Uh, you know, There's a reason why things like internet cafes continue to survive in a lot of the developing world, mm -hmm. and that's because people don't have home computers, but they have a phone. And so if you're able to kind of bridge that gap and say, well, instead of going out and buying a whole PC with, like, all of the things that go along with it, you get a monitor and a slightly more expensive phone. You just hook your phone up to it, and now you actually have a computer, and right. you can do all of those things without having to go rent time on an aging computer in, like, some weird internet cafe in a dark corner of your city. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see why that's compelling. Can you, um, so 
Terrence and I haven't seen the decks in person. Mm-hmm. Only you have. Have not. Um, how big is, is the actual dock, and is it at all portable? Like, can you stuff it in a bag if you're traveling? It's, um, if you make a hockey puck, maybe, like, one and a half times its normal size, and, like, one and a half times its normal height, that's roughly the deck stock. Like, it's not the most portable-looking thing, but you could toss it into a backpack without too much trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no problem with that. I think sort of standardizing those connectors, too, is going to be, like, one of the big stumbling blocks. Like, there's going to have to be some sort of standardization around that. You can't have Samsung having its own uh, phone as desktop system and Microsoft having their own phone as desktop system and Apple and Google and whoever else is going to decide to jump on it. I'm sure Motorola will get back into it at some point because they did that and failed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, like, that's the thing that we didn't really get to find out when we when we looked at decks, like obviously you've got a device like a Lumia 950 has the right ports. Like I, we don't have a clear understanding of whether the decks in a way is just allows for video output and inputs to connect to a device. Like if it's that simple, like I could see a company trying to build third party stuff that interface with an S8 and like a continuum enabled device. Like yeah. there's, there, there might be room for an all in one kind of solution there. And I think that's going to become really important as these companies continue to try to figure out how to make a phone more than just a phone. Yeah. Uh, let's kind of end that there and move on to our next segment, which is open source. And Chris, I want you to tell us and the people out there a little bit about what it was like to kind of be on the ground at the Samsung event. As, as you hinted at earlier, um, in the past, they've been kind of uh, weird spectacles. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the S8 event was a little bit more toned down than your usual Samsung. It seemed like a spectacle of a lot of people, though. Yeah. I mean, so we were fortunate enough because we were crazy people who woke up at, like, 7 and then, like, showed up at the line at 8. So we were basically within the first 10 people walking in. The event started at what time? The event started at uh, 11 in the morning. Okay. So we stood in line for, like, two hours, which is... Par for the course when you do this. It's yeah. part of the fun. Uh, you mingle well, with your part rivals. Of the fun? Yeah, totally. Okay. But uh, Dana's shaking her head vigorously at in, me. In nice weather, maybe it's part of the fun. Where you get to like hang out and like talk shop with people. But it wasn't really particularly nice yesterday morning, was it? It wasn't so it wasn't great at first. It was cold and dreary, and you could tell for most people in the line their souls were just sort of like exiting their bodies. Like they had to reach out and grab them and shove them back in before actually going back inside. But uh, I mean, I, I couldn't really put a number on how many people showed up. They, they did fill most of the David Geffen Theater at Lincoln Hall, which is not a small space. I mean, I can, I can find out how many people please, I, please while do. you talk. Um, so obviously a ton of journalists, the, the line to get in, once everyone kind of filtered inside, was, Dana, to your point, frankly, insane, I, I posted an Instagram about it. And that you were was, all basically in a sardine can. We were in a sardine can. That was the bottom floor. Keep in mind that there were still like two extra tiers. So we, no one made it very clear to us where we, where we were supposed to go. So we just like went up some stairs and then we saw other people going up more stairs. So we went up more stairs. And it, it wasn't long at all before those tiers were completely packed, too. It's, uh, the show itself was considerably less spectacular. It's, it very much reminded me of the Note 7 event from last year. So you've got this, like, last year you had, like, the screen sort of extending out into the floor. This year it's kind of, like, reaching out above you. So it does really tie into their whole, like, unbox the phone philosophy. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were very few moments where it felt actively weird. Like, there was one towards the end where everyone gets a free Gear 360 and everyone's like, 
understandably very jazzed about it. And then right at the end, they play like the final video, like the closer video. And when the lights come up, you see people in white shirts, Samsung employees, I guess, sort of in the aisles doing this like tribal dance as if to say, yeah, this is time. We're going to go play with some phones. I've got some phones. I'm holding some phones. I'm going to dance. We're going to dance in front of you. Okay, I'm so going to dance weird. next to you. Yeah, it felt, it felt so cultish, which, I mean, I guess worked. Like people ate it up. But we were up in a balcony and no one was dancing near us, so we were able to be a little, a little more objective about what was going on. It was strange. <laughs> it's funny because I was about the words that were about to come out of my mouth were, "Oh, Samsung events aren't that weird. It's just that they're being compared to Apple, which is a very specific way of doing things." Mm-hmm. But then you got to the tribal dancing. It's like I don't know. What to make well, I mean, of that. they've done some super weird stuff in the past. I mean, we we talked about the the Broadway thing before. Um, Weirder than Asus, where Asus's chairman just gets on stage and starts shouting. I mean, to be that's, clear, that's not weird. That's incredible. <laughs> like my, I, I swear to God, my favorite gadget unveiling of all time was the pad phone, where Johnny Schiff has like a has like a tablet right there. He's like, oh wait, check out this tablet. Oh wait, it's not a tablet. Reaches down, like the hand appears on the screen and pulls out the phone, and there's like really terrible jazzy music playing while he does it. It's the greatest thing. Like, he's so earnest about this stuff that you have to love every minute of it. Samsung is, is overproduced, I think, to the point of tedium, but they, they know how to put on a very slick-looking show, and that's, and that's kind of what they've been focusing on this past yeah. year and a half. Well, I mean, I just found one of the other ones. So this was the 2015 uh, CES TV event where they basically did, like, some weird Swan Lake thing. There was, like, a pool and stuff. Oh, God, yeah. Like, they're... Oh, yeah. I don't know if they're quite as weird as uh, Sony's the one that goes real ham sometimes, right? I haven't been to a real ham Sony thing. Or was it Samsung? Was it Sam? No. Qualcomm has some real barn burners in its past. I can remember CES 2013. You had Big Bird. You had Archbishop Desmond Tutu. You had, like, (laughs) just young people dancing around talking about how cool chips were. Like, that was perhaps my favorite of all time. Wasn't it Sony who had the kid that was running around in like the weird fur headdress or whatever? Or was that Samsung? I can't even remember I don't anymore. Know. I think we need to rank our the weirdest God. events we've covered. Guys, there is some weird we could do that, you know. shit that happens at some of these press conferences. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Um, and we appreciate it. We, we appreciate <laughs> that this makes our jobs more fun. Uh, I did. I did find some photos, by the way, from the uh, Samsung weird uh, Broadway event. That I feel. I feel like we should put some of this stuff in the in the description. In yeah. The, like the post for this because it is a very bizarre thing. Um, by the way, David Geffen Hall, just over twenty seven hundred people. Yeah. Uh, so it was obviously packed with journalists. They had people wearing orange lanyards, which I guess might have been like guests of the company or employees. Like it was never really made clear to us what those people were. I should also point out that Samsung invited, I, as I understand it, this was part of a sweepstakes where if you like watched the Note 7 like battery live stream and like reached out and like had a conversation with Samsung about it, they flew 50 like random people, just like Note 7 owners. They each got plus ones, uh, cover it, or airfare covered to New York. They stayed in the W, got $1,000 in spending money. $2,300 to cover the taxes for all the stuff they were going to get because they got the Gear 360. They're going to get an S8 Plus. They got the Gear VRs. Like, they, it, it felt like in a lot of ways they were trying to apologize to a very specific outspoken group of people who mm-hmm. got burned by the Note 7. Ha. But it, 
<laughs> that might be the first pun that you've ever like expressed some kind of appreciation for. I mean, because it was partially unintentionally. I don't think you said that meaning it. You it didn't notice just you came did. out. But like it felt, I, I was while uh, while Nathan and uh, Evan, our new social guy, were just kind of doing some social videos of the S8. I got to talking with this guy who was out here with this girlfriend from Cleveland, just like taking in the sights and doing all this stuff. And he couldn't have been more open about everything that Samsung had done for them. And it felt on some level kind of strange. Like there is there is trying to win back consumer trust by building a good thing and not messing up in the future. It's it also feels like something else when you're. I don't know, straight like, up bribing them. Yeah, you're like you're yeah. paying people who they're who trying had to buy issues. your love. Yeah, and like <laughs> for this guy, like sure, he had a great time. Like I'm sure he and his girlfriend are having a lovely time in the beautiful city of New York. But it feels ethically like a little off. Yeah, I as a, if it was framed as a sweepstakes, as I understand it was. Like I guess that's one thing, but it doesn't sound like it. I don't it know. It sounds it's like just, they're trying to buy some love. Were they under any obligation to like post? Uh, positive stuff about the event or Samsung on social media? I don't think so, but I think they, I think Samsung probably hoped that they would. Like, they put them in a room with, like, Tim Baxter. They spoke to product experts. Like, in a lot of ways, they, they got not quite tech journalist treatment with regard to access, but, like, pretty close. Mm -hmm. And, like, free hotel rooms and meals and all that stuff. Like, they, they were very adamant about making sure, I think, that people who were truly concerned about the Note 7 got something for their concerns. Which I don't know. It feels. I, I had to record the conversation with the guy because I'm like, wait, what? Like this is happening to you? Like you have really? to like tell me a little bit about. That. Yeah. So he he gets like halfway through his story. I'm like, wait, can you tell me all of that again while I'm recording <laughs> it? <laughs> um, any other weird stuff there? Anything else that you feel like is important to point out about the show? I mean, not really. It's it felt very. I guess the one thing I will throw out there is that. Samsung kind of continued with its very oblique references to sort of being sorry for the Note 7 battery stuff. I, in general, I suspect that they think that their January event, their live stream, whatever, like laying out the root cause, bringing up all those product experts to explain why these batteries failed in the specific manner that they did was kind of the end of the story. But you can't go into something like this and not sort of invoke that. And I think a lot of people there and a lot of people watching at home kind of wanted Samsung to just say, hey, like, we're sorry. We're sorry. Again, like those words did not appear. To my knowledge, I was live blogging at the time and taking photos. So if it did happen, feel free to call me out. But they're very hesitant to just say the words, we messed up, we're sorry. Like, it's, it's like, it, that's kind of all you need, right? Like, I just need a moment of humanity and candidness from a company that messed up. They've never actually said we're sorry? They might have at the January thing. I would have expected something more concrete at this event, uh -huh. which we didn't really get. They talked about how the batteries would be safer and their commitment to safety and quality and innovation. But I mean, they clearly just want to move on. Of course. And, like, who could blame them for that? But at, a at, a, at an event like this where the, the comparisons are inevitable, and, by the way, at an event like this taking place after it's been announced that the Note 7s are going to go on sale in other countries as refurbished devices, like, you kind of have to expect something, yeah. right? Side note, I would totally buy a refurbished Note 7. <laughs> You are a braver man than I. Like, we're going to Taipei for Computex. I might try and find one nearby and just, like, fly and get it and then come right back and then use that forever. <laughs> well, you're typing on a refurbished Surface Book. Yep, which uh, looks a little less refurbished because I've got this fake wood going on there. So <laughs> fancy. Yeah. Uh, it, looks, it looks not great. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I like it. it. It's, it's not the prettiest, but it, it, gives, <laughs> a little, it gives a little character. Um... So why don't we move on 
to group chat and I think dig in really deep on the GS8 mm -hmm. and kind of talk about what this means in a bigger way for Samsung. Um, so first, Chris, just tell us about the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Plus. That's the larger one. Right. So let's I'm gonna turn on hands-on voice yeah, please really do. quick. Hey guys, so let's talk about the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Plus. We're looking in the US at least at a Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 chipset with four gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigabytes of internal storage. You can upgrade that with a micro SD card up to 256 gigs. You can technically, I mean, you'll be able to get bigger cards in the future, but Samsung has only certified these devices for 256 gigs at this point. Also, feel free, I, I feel compelled to point out, if you don't live in the US, you're probably gonna get a uh, device with an octa-core chipset. Uh, interesting, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because the Exynos that we got in the Galaxy S7 international model last year had a couple advantages in terms of battery life and speed that we didn't get in the 820 version of the Galaxy S7 last year. So hopefully that gap has been reduced. We do have a stunning design. It's got an infinity display, which means you've got basically no bezel on the left and right and just the faintest hint of bezel on the top and bottom. The Galaxy S8 is the smaller of the two with its 5.8 inch screen running at quad HD+. The numbers tied to which escape me at the moment. The Galaxy S8, S8 Plus rather it has a 6.2 inch display, which feels stunning. I am not a small phone person, but I was hesitant, obviously, kind of going into this with all the rumors talking about how big the screen was. And it feels, I mean, it's just about the same size as an iPhone 7 Plus. It's a little narrower in each dimension, but it feels incredible. One thing to point out, we're not getting huge increases in performance in the camera. It's a 12 megapixel dual pixel camera, very similar to what we got with the Galaxy S7. There have been some improvements to processing made, so you get slightly better color and clarity throughout, but we'll obviously have that, see how that goes. Uh, the S8 also has a 3000 milliamp hour battery, which is the same as the S7 last year. Also really curious to see how that works out because we're working with a more powerful chipset and a bigger display. I am skeptical. Uh, the, the SA Plus has a 3,500 milliamp hour battery, actually, which is a hair smaller than the Edge from last year. The Edge, by the way, doesn't exist anymore because both devices have those curved edge displays. And that's as much of the voice that I want to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. I always think it's kind of fun to uh, watch somebody turn that on because it's such like a, a great learned skill to just like be able to go, Oh, we're in hands-on mode. And I have to like talk <laughs> nonstop and like uh, do it. It's also a thing that I get kind of rusty at. And every time we go to CES and I have to like relearn it because I haven't done like a proper hands-on in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself great at it, but I was so much worse before you guys started making me do videos for everything. <laughs> All right. So yes. let's start breaking some of that down because there's a whole bunch of things going on there. Um, if I'm honest, Dana, you can ask questions about this if you like. Okay. I don't, <laughs> I'm not particularly uh, concerned with the specs part. I mm -hmm. think we're at a place with flagship phones where like they all kind of perform fine. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I agree. No, nobody's getting like huge jumps. They're all more or less use the same chipset. They all more or less ship with the same amount of RAM. Really, the biggest problem is whether or not they're adding a bunch of customizations to the OS that are gonna kind of drag things down. Um, and it seems like TouchWiz is a little bit lighter this time around. It feels more mature, I'd say. So we, you see, you'll see a couple of trends that kind of pop up with other device makers kind of kind of appear in the S8. So for example, the app, uh, like the app button, the app launcher, doesn't really exist. You swipe up, sort of pixel style, to access your applications. Uh, the the theme, the icons, the fonts, 
all feel a little more polished. They feel a little more grown up. They make me feel a little less like TouchWiz is this like annoying toy that you stick in a drawer because you never want to use. And more of this thing where, is it perfect for everybody? No, but it's close enough for most people that I would certainly suffer through it and wouldn't have much trouble. Terrence, you're a stock guy, yeah. as am I. I think, I think if you put in some time, like you actually wouldn't dislike this very much. I mean, so I watched the hands-on with it, and I will say that TouchWiz has improved dramatically. Mm-hmm. It's no longer, it no longer looks like a It's toy. not a hole. It, it, it used to just be like a hole of despair. Yeah. And it's not that. Well, I mean, I think for me, part of the issue was the, the bizarre design choices they made mm-hmm. that made it look like it wasn't a smartphone but like a VTech fake phone you'd give to a three-year-old. Like what? <laughs> I I I spent maybe a little more time with this, but I didn't get that impression. I would love to. Like, what do you think feels like toyish about it? So I wrong? think well, the newer version doesn't have that. To be oh, clear. okay. So okay. this is like this was always my feeling about TouchWiz in I the see. past is it was always a little bit too bright, always a little bit too many different colors. These weird like unnecessary. Uh, curves to things. A little cartoonish. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Su- oh, not a little cartoonish, super cartoonish. Yeah. Like, it, look, it looked like somebody was making a phone uh, based on Dora the Explorer yeah. and not on Android. Their earlier versions definitely had a distinct, like, Fisher-Price vibe going yeah. on. The new one seems a little bit cleaner, a little bit more simple, and like you said, a little bit more grown up. Um, it still maintains the squircles, which, which I I'm, love. I'm not a fan of. I don't know how you feel about the Squirkles, Dana. So did you hate the Zune as well? Um, I've never thought to think about Squirkles. You've never thought to think about the Squirkles? <laughs> no. One of my favorite sentences ever. Oh, that's going, that's going in the, the list of wonderful Dana quotes. Um, I didn't hate the Zune. Um, but I liked, I liked the Zune hardware better than I liked a lot of the Zune software. Fair. All right. Um, although the Zune HD, they started doing that, like, weird other design they didn't have oh metro back in the day like pre-windows phone yeah that was fun those were the days yeah um that was a little bit different so i mean and ubuntu which i was a big fan of and a a dedicated user of for Mm -hmm. many years um they moved to squircles um and it was a thing that i did not like so i mean it's it's not that i haven't seen them before it's but it's just like i don't pick a square or a circle just, just choose one. The weird in-between thing feels kind of childish and cartoonish to me, just like inherently by design. Fair enough. And also, just too many just too many weird colors and things. Just like, there's so many like bright clashes of color in TouchWiz that I like find So, bothersome. I mean, I'd ask this question of Samsung, but also Lenovo now and HTC, but um, these companies that are either based in Asia or have parent companies based in Asia, um, do you think part of the problem with software design is that they're designing for two very different markets? Yeah, there's a distinct cultural shift when you're designing for an Asia versus a like Western Hemisphere kind of thing. Like. Right. I mean, in conversations with Richard Lai, our Hong Kong editor, mm-hmm. um, it seems to be that skins like this that we um, frequently just sort of dismiss so often here in the States mm-hmm. are actually pretty commonplace and maybe even um, a boon in the Asian market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder to what extent that is... Um, a challenge for a company like Samsung. Um, I mean, this was a global press event, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just us American journalists, but there were journalists flown in from as far flung as Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to build a phone that's going to satisfy everybody. And software, to begin with, seems to be an area where there are clear and very different preferences um, in different regions. Yeah, that's why I think I kind of appreciate what they've done with 
the new TouchWiz or whatever brand name they're calling it now. Is it, it not called TouchWiz? I, I had heard that they might be calling it something else. Like, well, they never used the name during the event yesterday. Yeah, but they it sounds very Fisher-Price. Like, it yeah. feels very old-school Samsung, so I'm not surprised that they wouldn't talk or, or give that interface a specific TouchWiz name. But for lack of anything else, I'm going to call it that. Yeah. Um, you're right. Like, being able to build good software in general is a nightmare. And to build good software that sort of ticks the right number of boxes for widely different cultural groups is, I mean, it's got to be like goddamn impossible. But what I like about TouchWiz now is that you do sort of get the impression that they've made concessions to like the Asian market, for example, like the traditional launcher doesn't quite exist the way it used to, which is on most Asian kind of spec devices, you'll just see an iPhone style apps on all of your home screens. And that's kind of that. And that's fine. Uh, I do feel like in a lot of ways they listen to us specifically complain over the years about how bad and bloated and cartoonish and childish TouchWiz is and dialed a lot of that down for our benefit. Mm-hmm. I, because, I mean, like obviously that's what I like. I feel good about it. I do also think there's enough there as far as bolt-on Samsung stuff. Like a Bixby Home is a very good example of that. It kind of apes like the Google Now home screen where you swipe to the right from your home screen. You've got all of your suggestions and like news items and stuff like that. But in general, I think they've done a pretty good job kind of balancing out those cultural concerns. Obviously, we didn't get a ton of time with TouchWiz. I'd love to kind of see how this works out even more. But I think at this point, it's about as good as they could do. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll say this. It seems like they've found a way to kind of balance... uh, their inclination, and this does seem kind of uh, a running theme in a lot of like Asian companies' designs. It's a lot of soft edges. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of roundness, but they've also paired that with sort of the uh, simplified um, design choices that you're seeing on Android now that you see on the newer versions of iOS. So it's a lot flatter. It's right. not a, not as much. Uh, what is it? Skewmorphism is the word I'm looking yeah. for. You know, no. Nobody's touching your screen and seeing ripples of water anymore. That's a word I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, well, because everybody's moved away. From yeah, that. we haven't yeah. had to get riled up about that in forever. Yeah. So they've moved away from that stuff, which is, I think, a good thing. Um, and right. kind of striking that balance between the two. Well, I will reserve judgment until yeah. I get my hands on it to actually like see it fully. I'm mm-hmm. just going into it very skeptical. Yeah, and that's fair. I think the one uh, kind of final note we'll leave with the interface is that you can theme the hell out of this thing. Yeah. So there are very specific themes in the store kind of already even in our really brief hands-on time that make this thing feel infinitely more palatable to certain cultures so like there's very QC stuff for for like Japan and Korea so it they've by removing the onus on Samsung itself to kind of cook up one single interface for everybody and letting anyone basically like MySpace their phone for better or worse oh god (laughs) yeah exactly I've seen some real stinkers uh like, they've, I think, really neatly sidestepped some of the cultural concerns. Um, so before we move on from design, though, I want to talk about the, the physical design of the phone. <laughs> he's getting real excited it's about real this. real good. Guys, it's real good. So I, the Edge no longer exists. There, because is, there is no specific Edge phone anymore. Because the S8 and the S8 Plus They're are both edges. basically the Edge. Exactly. Um, it's got the same curved screen mm-hmm. around the sides. Um, I've got to say, it is the best-looking phone that Samsung has built 
in a long, long time. I think it's the best looking phone out there right now. I might agree with you. Which color in person was your favorite, V? See, that's tough because I love, 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 loved the black Galaxy Note, that really like dark, light-sucking black. Uh, they've got a silver model as well, which is just like chromed out. And I feel like kind of a jerk for wanting the blingiest possible <laughs> Galaxy S8, but I kind of want the blingiest possible Galaxy S8. Ladies and gentlemen, that is v Velasco's <laughs> third voice. You've heard the hands-on voice, the normal voice. What, is, what would you call this voice? L- lusting after an <laughs> yeah. animate that's object that, voice. That's, that's the gadget lust voice. <laughs> All right, so what colors does it come in? So there will be five. I forget. So three are coming to the United States out of a total of five. I forget which three. There's black, silver, blue, orchid gray, and uh, one other, which I forget at the moment. So I'm pulling it up here. Because I need to know. Because this is actually one thing I didn't catch yesterday. And would this would this make a difference to you? Like, are you one of those people to whom color matters a lot? It doesn't matter a lot. I'm perfectly happy with uh, the like functional black, not fancy at yeah. all. Like, so. But I'm just kind of interested, like, especially when it's clear they've put so much effort into the design of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they've clearly thought so much about the appearance and the aesthetics. I want to know what their choices are to pair with it color-wise. Because right. I, I think that also changes the way the device looks and yeah. feels. And, and wh- unfortunately, their website is broken. <laughs> I was going to say, while you're <laughs> looking at that, I just wanted to throw this out there. I've long held that HTC was like the king of smartphone design. The, uh, mm, 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 sorry, guys. Like, I it, mean, I agree with you. Like, I, I liked a lot of what the U Ultra did, specifically with regard to its look, but that was it. And Samsung has eaten their lunch basically on every level. Like, they're maybe not quite as dorky about, like, material science as HTC is. But, like, when you get an end result that looks as good as the S8 or the S8 Plus, like, what does it matter? Like, who cares how you coat your metal with glass or your glass with metal? Like, just give me a good-looking thing that won't break, and I'm good. And this is, it's metal-bodied, right? Or is it plastic? Uh, Metal. It is metal. Okay. Well, okay. So there's like a metal rim around it, sort of like the. Uh, basically, if you look at a Note Seven and imagine that, where you sort of got the the glossy the, front and back, and then the metal rim around the side, that's what you got. But is the back plate plastic? No. Okay. That's that's that was yeah. my okay. Thing. Okay. And we're long done with the fake leather. Yes. Thank God. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Uh, you have you have a place for that? In your I kind of I forget. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But if the Q1 has a uh, fake leather on it, just take my money. I'm gonna throw my wallet at a screen. Why not real leather? This is the gadget um, gadget porn cast. Yeah, today. I mean, because I'm not gonna lie, the the Moto X with like the proper leather oh, backs. Oh yeah, those were hot. That Horween stuff was so yeah. so good. Not that Saffiano stuff on the second model. No, that like like no, plain smooth texture. I don't really mean leather back. I mean um, plastic bumps that were meant to resemble leather stitches. Yes. Which the, is totally different. Yes. So you're thinking like... But I'm saying why like? bother with the faux leather yeah. when you can have the real thing? God, it clearly so works. I will never get rid of that phone. I'm never going to use it again, but I just want it. They aged so well, oh, too. Yeah. It broke in like a nice boot. Oh, God. Why? Like you're like going to nerd out <laughs> over leather right now. I almost <laughs> framed the Note 7 rather than give it back to Samsung, and I think you should probably frame that Moto X. <laughs> I might, I might. It's a beautiful piece. So, by the way, in America, it's only coming in silver, gray, and black. Which is fine. Like, the alternatives are blue and orchid gray, which 
Well, no, it's the Orchid Gray, the, the Arctic gray Silver, and Ma Midnight Black coming. The black is actually pretty nice. It is that, like... It's incredible. It's that, like, disappear into it, like, black hole black. Right. Like, if you held this up, it would look like you photoshopped it in. Yeah. Kind of Actually, you know what? I just remember what the other color is. Maple gold. Maple gold? Two huh? things that I never would have mashed together in my head. Samsung is just gone for it. They actually, at the event, the, the swag that they give out, in addition to the Gear 360, which we have sitting here, is uh, like a design book with interviews with Samsung staffers written by like someone who writes for the International New York Times and like actual publications, which is ethically strange and also fascinating. And the photos are real pretty. I saw somebody posted that um, yesterday. I was like, that's really weird. It's like this giant coffee table book. Yeah, it's sort of like that Apple design coffee table book, except with I, what I assume is way more bombast. Like, there are we, I kind of want to do a dramatic reading of some of this stuff because it's so over the top. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm looking at all these. That maple gold is pretty hot. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And I don't understand why it's not coming because we got a gold S7 last year and like that was that seemed to sell relatively well. If I'm wrong, someone please call me out. So yeah. But it's not gold. It's really. not. It's maple gold. It's it's, it's more of like gold. a it's like a metallic tan. It's the maple. Yeah. Maple bacon. Mm. Do we have See, to See that's a better marketing name, <laughs> I think. Um, I would buy a bacon colored phone. A bacon colored phone? I mean, we could get you a case for your yeah. phone that looks like bacon. How is that? Didn't we? we no, because I don't want the the white stripes on it. But like, you uh, just want that like well uncooked or cooked bacon. Do you want that deep like red brown, far. or do you want like that pale pink? You can roll with it. You 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 can run with this. Okay. And, 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 do you guys remember yeah. that like little like air scent dispenser we had kicking around the office for a while that was bacon scented? Like you'd plug it in the bottom of your phone and connect it to an app and it would just like squirt out air that smelled like bacon? No, I do not remember this. Well, <laughs> I just kind of assumed you took it. Nope. I do not have this. I do not know what we you're talking about. We should get another about. one back into the office though. Just to make the whole office smell like Just bacon to make all us all hangry all the time? Yeah. <laughs> um, enough bacon scented things. Let's get back to the, the, the task at hand. <laughs> Samsung Galaxy S8. Alright, fine. I know. I'm going to go eat some bacon. I want bacon this. now. I know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so two other things I kind of wanted to quickly touch on before we kind of wrap this whole thing up. Um, one of those is the inclusion of the AKG headphones. So one question I had that I couldn't get a clear answer on yesterday, is that a timed thing for like the first batch of S8s that get sold? Or is that just in every box with S8s? You're getting these like $100 AKG Headphones. So know? as I understand it, I, I don't have much more clarity on it than you, but from what it sounded like during my conversations with Samsung, it's those are just the packets. Like, that's just what you get. Which is bonkers. Is it? To be clear. I mean, like, you've seen companies like, like, even ZTE did some JBL packets that were actually pretty good with, uh, like, back in the day. So it's not unheard well, of. It's not unheard of. I, I don't know. JBL makes good stuff, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like AKG is a name that carries a lot of cachet or among a certain crowd. I was going to say, I've, I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's all very smart. I mean, so I've edited many, many phone reviews, and often the section on audio um, culminates in the same way. It's like, um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, but um, you could just plug in a pair of headphones, and that's what you're going to do anyway. Yeah. So um, even if these are $100 headphones, I have to wonder about the R&D costs saved 
in not bothering to try and reinvent the wheel and make the audio setup here better than it could be or better than it realistically is going to be and just going straight to the headphones which people are going to use anyway and well, make them good. Well, one of the things that Samsung has always done uh, pretty well if you talk to like super nerdy people mm -hmm. um, is build audio chips. And it's a thing they've never really talked about much when marketing their phones for some reason. But the, the DAC that they put in their phones is generally of much higher quality than those that are going into their competitors. Um, Apple has kind of seemed to start to catch up, but the early days of like the initial batch of like Galaxy S phones versus mm -hmm. the iPhone, it was like no competition. Apple does not look very good in this conversation because app, the sound coming out of the speaker here is not remarkable. And also, um, Apple is not doing anything right now to leverage its ownership of Beats. I mean, yeah. Apple could just, if it wanted to, throw Beats headphones in, in with the box, but it's not going to. Yeah. And that would also be catering to a different audience, to be clear, mm -hmm. yeah. as well. Um, but it'd I mean, be an improvement over what we get. It's true. And I mean, it's not just about the speakers on the phone. Like, the speakers on the phones are only going to be so good. But it's that chip inside and how it's decoding the audio. And, uh, Apple always kind of, like, took a bit of a shortcut with it, whereas Samsung, who has a long history of making, like, quality audio gear, mm -hmm. just went, well, we can repurpose this tiny, high-quality audio chip and put it in our things. And so when I would talk to, like, audiophiles and stuff, they'd be like, you know, if you're going to buy... Um, a digital music player it's going back to the days of when you had a dedicated digital right. music player or if you're going to buy a smartphone and you want to listen to music on it buy a samsung because it's got a very flat mm -hmm. uh natural kind of response it's not like going to distort it's not pumping out too much bass and you pair that with the akg headphones and akg is a big name especially um in production circles like mm -hmm. they make i don't want to say the industry standard but like bang for your buck industry standard studio monitors. Like if you're gonna go out and buy headphones, you wanna start recording and start working on music, one of the first companies people are gonna tell you to go look to is AKG, because you can get some really solid studio monitors for like 55, 60 bucks from them, which are surprisingly good for such a low cost. Can we talk about what the best part of this whole AKG pack-in headphone deal is? Hmm. Please. Just plug it in the headphone jack, yo. Yes. Oh yeah. There is a headphone jack. Which, by the way, like blows a hole in everyone else's argument. Like this is an incredibly thin phone that's been manufactured to really insanely precise standards. Yep. And it's got a headphone jack. Like, yo, HTC, what's the deal? Like Apple, Motorola. Like, there's no reason why you can't do this. Nope. There's no reason. And again, to be clear, I think that's kind of catering to people who like high quality audio. Mm -hmm. I use Bluetooth headphones when I commute, but. Bluetooth headphones are never going to sound as good as something being plugged directly into and getting that analog signal. Well, analog-ish signal. <laughs> so no, I think they have something else. That they've, they've kind of cornered the market on Android cameras at this point. Like, their cameras are always going to be better than everybody else's, it seems like. I think the sensors that they go with are generally really, really good. To be fair, like, these are, like, they buy sensors from, like, Sony generally. Like, they're not always homebrew stuff. But nobody is writing soliloquies about how good the Sony cameras are. I, I heard a couple of soliloquies last night about how great the G6 is. Our, our review is not up yet. I actually really, really like the camera. I don't think in just like a straight shootout it beats a Samsung, but I think the flexibility it offers, like it, it all depends on what you're looking for, right? Like if you're coming into just like maybe the best point and shoot, I would have said Pixel before. I might say S8 now if I get to play with it more. 
But if you're the kind of person who has very precise needs, if you if you want to be able to, if you're like a vlogger, if you have like, like there's there are a lot of situations in which the G6 is kind of the superior camera experience, which is not a thing I ever thought I would say. I feel a little weird actually, even right now. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else we need to talk about about the Galaxy S8? Anything we haven't talked, we haven't touched on? I mean, I think we ran through just about Everything all. Everything else the is really stuff. gonna have to wait until your review. The verdict on performance, battery life, camera, yeah, quality. I'm interested to see the battery life. I'm really interested interested to see like the Connect Home stuff come together. Like, if anything, it gives me an excuse to go out and buy a bunch of connected home stuff. But like the ability to have. A s- I mean, you can have the giant pile of connected home review unit stuff that's just been collecting dust. What are you talking about? I forgot. Where is this pile? It's sitting in a tote bag. You in guys my, suck. In my dining room. Oh, I okay, okay. So it's at your house. Well, I meant to, I've been me- meaning to bring it to the <laughs> office, and I just keep forgetting. I've I've now come to the office like three. I've put them by the door so that I don't forget. And you've missed it. Three and times I've missed in it row? three times. <laughs> I will probably miss it a fourth time tomorrow. <laughs> well, that's just peachy. But I mean, the ability to tie into. Not only Samsung's own stuff, like their fridge with the cameras inside, which is still a thing that I don't think society needs, but nope. like, sure, whatever, like enjoy do, it, have a good time. You do you, Samsung. Right. <laughs> but the fact that you can also tie in smart things, capable stuff, like there is a Hue bridge, like a Philips Hue bridge connected to our demo setup. So like, you could tell Bixby to like, turn your Hue down to 30%. Like that, in a way, it feels very reminiscent of what Apple's done with its own home app and home kit. But the breadth, I think, is what's very exciting. And to be able to just have that baked into the core and have that really be a big priority for Samsung is not a thing I expect going into it. And I'm really kind of stoked for it. Would you just live in a Samsung home? Just like all Samsung appliances and Samsung everything just so you can talk to Bixby and control your blinds? And have a friend? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly the friend thing. But, I mean, like, that's the point. If you're, if you're, If you've gone to the trouble of building out, like, a proper smart home, like, You've probably pledged allegiance to somebody. To somebody, probably at this point more than likely Apple because HomeKit, for for all of its like weird little issues, is like a very very solid, very good platform. But oh yeah, I would totally live in a Samsung house. Samsung, if you're listening to this, can you build me a house? <laughs> is that weird to ask? I think there might be some ethical problems with that. All right, what if I what if I moved into the house for like a week? Samsung for review does purposes. have a construction business in Korea, so maybe if you... I'm officially pitching that story right here to you right now. Can I go to Korea and live in a, in a Samsung, Samsung house? house? I, I think that would be a fascinating story, to, to go full bore Samsung. Like, Samsung health insurance, Samsung <laughs> house... <laughs> Go, I mean, go to work on the Samsung artillery range. It would be a pretty interesting story. I also think it would be a pretty interesting story just in general if Samsung decided they were going to build an entire community of homes powered entirely by Samsung. Just like you move in and as part of your like rental package, you get a Galaxy S8 to control your home that also unlocks your door. And See, that sounds terrifying, but realistically, how long before something like that happens? Six like months? It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not far-fetched enough to be out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. Uh, are we got? Are you guys ready to kind of bring this to a close? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think I'm S8ed out. I yeah. think it's time for the wind down. This is where kind of take a breath, talk about what we've been doing in our downtime, recommend something to the listeners, whether that's something to watch, something to listen to. Um, I'm going to start with you, Dana. Uh oh. Because last week, uh oh, at your insistence. <laughs> We started this project 
where we were going to get you a little culture in class. <laughs> class? I never said class. <laughs> I said class. I'm classy. Go on. Uh, and we gave you homework. And your homework last week was to watch Jurassic Park. Yeah. And you did it. You made me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> but you did it, and I'm very happy about it. And in the midst of that episode, we discovered that you also had not seen Jaws. Mm -hmm. And so your homework for this week was to go home and watch Jaws, which you did not do. I didn't want to go home and watch Jaws. <laughs> I would have done it last night, maybe, but I was out late. You were out late. Yeah. Were you at le out late at least having fun? You weren't, like, stuck somewhere trying to get home. No, I, I, was, I was hanging out with my aunt. Okay, that's fine. So, we can't talk Jaws this week, because you didn't do your homework. What would you like to talk about? What have you been listening to, watching, reading? I have been listening to the podcast Missing Richard Simmons. And I've been listening to it fully aware of, almost because of the controversy surrounding it. So, mm -hmm. to step back, this guy who um, was a frequent um, attendee at Richard Simmons' workout class in L.A., um, did this podcast time of the third anniversary Richard Simmons basically dropping out of public life and disappearing and um, even before I started listening I had read um, about how kind of invasive it was and it is invasive I it mean is. spoiler alert he yeah. yeah he stakes out in front of his home and knocks on his door um, so I, I'm listening to it not so much because I recommend it to you guys and because I love it but partly because I just want to be part of the conversation and be able to either, even if I don't like it, be able to talk about what I don't like about it. And I'm not done with it yet, but I would second the idea that it's invasive, but also it's weird. It's told in the past tense as if he were dead or as if it were an episode of Behind the Music. Yeah. But he's, for all, as far as we all know, very alive. Is alive. Yeah. I listened to the first couple of episodes. Um, like you, there's, I, I'm a little bothered by some of the weird invasiveness. There's some, like, real ethical issues around the creation of it. But it is also very well done. Like, it's very compelling listening. Right? I mean, like, it's not like you listen to it once and went, this is both invasive and terrible. There's clearly no reason to listen to it. I like the parts that are like, it's a shame Richard Simmons dropped out of public life because this is why he was awesome. And then hearing people talk about why he was awesome. Yeah. I, I, that, that feels less invasive, and but equally interesting. Um, I feel more uncomfortable with the parts where they are invading his privacy and then on air rationalizing why, why that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. So if you have no qualms with the ethical parts of that, feel free to go listen to Missing Richard Simmons. I feel like even if you have qualms, I mean, this is a debate we can have. I feel like even if you have qualms, you can listen... Because it you already wanna, exists. Yeah. Like, you're not stopping the creation of this product by well, not listening. I'm not listening because I'm a voyeur and I'm that curious about what happened to Richard Simmons. I'm, I'm listening almost as a critique, as, as a critic of the very media industry I work in. And if there's this discussion going on about something messed up happening, mm -hmm. I want to listen just so that I can, like, weigh in in an informed way. Fair enough. You might have just convinced me to go back and pick it up again. Yeah. V, what do you want to tell the people to check out? Man, uh, this feels almost cliche because I feel like it's gotten really buzzy lately, but I'm all about, have you guys heard of the Adventure Zone? 
Adventure Zone? The Adventure Zone. It's a uh, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast hosted by three brothers, the McElroys, two of which were actually former like AOL clan members, right? Like they were they were joystick guys like way, way back in the okay. day. So basically it's three brothers who live all over the country and like their dad just playing Dungeons and Dragons with each other, which sounds a little strange, but it's it's basically the exact opposite of everything Dana described about missing Richard Simmons. Like this is just pure unadulterated, like, family-level fun because they've got their dad into it, which is just kind of incredible. Like, I can't remember the last time I've had just, like, a really chill, enjoyable time listening to a podcast because they get really worked up over things like production and stuff like that. But, like, it's gotten me to the point where I actually want to sit down and play Dungeons & Dragons with you guys because they just make it sound so goddamn cool. So that's, that's, I actually might listen to that as well. Yeah. See, you guys are convincing me. Uh, not even just the people out there, because I actually recently just went out and bought a Dungeons and Dragons starter set. I saw. Um, I have not played Dungeons and Dragons since high school, um, and I had only played it a small handful of times. Mm-hmm. But recently, got into this really weird started as a joke conversation with a bunch of friends of mine <laughs> about how we we're going to start playing in Dungeons and Dragons, and somehow the joke turned into a thing of, no, now we're going to actually have game night and play Dungeons & Dragons. That's really cool, though. Um, So now I have to learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons. Because you needed a new hobby. Because I don't have enough hobbies. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, by the way, Dana. This is... (laughs) (laughs) This probably isn't going to make much sense to the people out there, but it doesn't really matter. And I think maybe one of the reasons I'm so stressed is because I have too many hobbies. I think I'm trying to do too many things. I think this is, I've been learning Spanish. I've decided to pick up Dungeons and Dragons. I made three beers in the last two weeks. Which involved some second degree burns. Yes, which did involve some second degree burns. <laughs> I'm organizing a charity event. Like, I think I might just be doing too many things. You're living your life pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm just gonna. Just like take, take two weeks, right? <laughs> and just like That's read, what I a, said. read a damn book. Just like lay on your couch with your pets. And like strum on a guitar and not even think about it. Just, just be. <laughs> I don't just think that's how you do time off, be. though. I don't. It isn't. It's really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to recommend that people go check out Spoon's new album, Hot Thoughts. Um, Spoon has been putting out top-notch albums for God knows how long now. A uh, series of sneaks came out in 1997, I want to say. And they just rarely release a stinker. It always sounds like Spoon. They have a very distinctive sound, but there's always just enough change. And Hot Thoughts is kind of their weird, groovy, um, we decided to make an electronic album. Mm. Um, And it's just, it's really, really top-notch. The production on it is phenomenal. Um, Britt Daniel, if I hope that's his name. If it's not, I'm sorry that I screwed this up. Pretty sure it's Britt Daniel. Uh, Just writes fantastic melodies. Um, so yeah, Spoon is awesome, and their new album is awesome, and you should check it out. If you like, you know, the pop music. I, I... Mm. And I don't mean pop as in, like, Britney Spears pop. I mean, like, you know, pop as in popular, like, rock pop stuff. It's good times. <laughs> Are you saying I should listen to it if I like listening to music other people listen to? If you like music. If I like music. If you enjoy music. If you enjoy music that album. has catchy melodies and well-played instruments and top-notch production value, mm-hmm. um, and as opposed to liking listening to the grind of industrial machinery and the shrieking of animals being killed. 
would I like it if <laughs> at this point the number one most played artist on my phone is Kesha? I mean, you might. I'll take it. <laughs> Sign me up. I've, the fact that Kesha is the most played artist on your th- uh, phone really doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> most recently, I've been listening to a lot of uh, the Migos album on repeat. Um, mm. Probably the most played artist on my phone is either Mastodon or um, Cameron. So don't look at me. I don't know. I think there's some <laughs> inferences to be made about who Terrence is as a person based <laughs> off of that. Mastodon, Migos, Spoon, and Cameron. That's, that's, that's what you got, guys. And I went on a rant about the fragile. You're a man who defies boxes. Yes. You don't fit neatly in anything, do you? That's, how, that's why you live your life so hard. You, you, just, you just do everything. <laughs> yep. You're, you're like living three lives at the same time. He's a renaissance man. Exactly. On Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think we're done. Let's wrap this up, guys. Can we get some bacon? We can. Hey, can we get some bacon in here, please? <laughs> Somebody bring us bacon while we wrap this up. Uh, Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for watching, listening, for going to the site. Uh, As always, we want your feedback. We want your questions, your comments, complaints, whatever it is. Um, You can send them to us at uh, podcast at Engadget.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. It's Engadget Podcast. You can also hit us up directly. I'm at Terrence O'Brien. Lots of E's, no A's. Uh, I'm just Chris Velasco, V-E-L-A-Z-C-O, because that's tricky for some people. And Dana Wallman. I am just Dana Wallman on Twitter. We are all so easy to find on the internet, guys. Yes. Super easy. Um, So please, yes, and don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice. I don't care if it's Stitcher, Pocket Cast, iTunes, whatever it is. Just go subscribe. It should be Pocket Cast. Uh, Leave us a rating if your Pocket Cast, your... (laughs) There, podcast app of choice allows you to do that because that will help people find our podcast and we want people to listen. At least I do. I don't know about you guys. Take it or leave it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, tune in next week. We'll be back with something else, I'm sure. <laughs>